This week, it's all about protecting the soil from organic matter, increasing fertility, to controlling the vehicles that run up and down your fields. It seemed wrong to me that we were spending so much time and so much money trying to repair all the fields every year. Soil is a resource which is very slow to to be replaced. We're looking at hundreds of years rather than just a few years. Also, we have a look ahead at Lama taking place this coming Wednesday and Thursday. Sunday, January 15th. 2017. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Protecting the soil is an issue that's not only topical right at this moment, but ever more a growing priority on the land, though many would argue it always has been. Control traffic farming is one buzz phrase in the industry, seen as a way of reducing damage to soils. But just how does it work? What's the best techniques? Well, Tom Hawthorne is a partner at Flora Farms and has been telling Ellie Codling about his experience of CTF. The whole principle of controlled traffic farming is that rather than having random widths of machines which drive randomly over your field and theoretically causing a compaction issue, potential compaction issue, over the whole of that field, um, controlled traffic farming allows you to um, match your implement width. So generally it starts with your crop sprayer, which generally range from 24 to 36 metres wide and then you, your, all your other implements so whether that's your combine harvester your cultivation, your drill you then make sure that you, when, you, when you're buying them you make sure that they fit within that width so as an example 36 metre wide sprayer would fit with 12 and 6 um, and by doing that you go from sort of trafficking well over the 80% of your field to probably being down towards 18% of your field the benefits of that really are as you are allowing your soil to be soiled to um, you know all we really want soil to do is grow our crops successfully and, and grow a, a good yield um, the problem is when we randomly traffic and we damage our soils we have to repair them and that also not only does that affect yield it also affects cost because it costs a lot of money to repair soils so by having CTF we know that we've got these set wheelways as such where we always run uh, and we have to repair those of course if we're trying to grow a crop on them but it's a lot smaller area and it's a lot more efficient uh, in time and in power to do so. Okay, so why did and how did you get started with it? Yeah, okay. Um, when we, our soil types we farm uh, sort of near Florbury are, are very heavy clay soils and they're very easy for us to compact when they're wet. Um, and it seemed wrong to me that we were spending so much time and so much money trying to basically lift or repair all the fields every year because we didn't really know whether we had or hadn't damaged... You know, you can dig a hole, but the hole's only in one place. You don't know whether you've damaged five yards down the road, down the field, or, or right down the far side. So you always randomly then went over the whole lot. Uh, so that's, it was very expensive. So by moving to a CTF idea, it, it, it meant that we could control that cost more um, and then also hopefully see the benefits of our soils sort of repairing themselves, but equally um, performing better. You've mentioned some of the good benefits in that, but how are you using your tram lines and headlands to your yeah. advantage? Yeah, okay. So we, um, so by having a fixed tram line always in the same place, so by using RTK GPS, which is very accurate GPS, which is also repeatable, so it gives us a signal, which is uh, a point which is always in the same place, so we can leave the field and come back again, and it's always in the same place. It allows us to run in those same areas year on year, week on week, day after day, uh, without, without them shifting. So by doing that... Um, we're only confining our movements this this very narrow area 
Um, we still have to treat the headlands where we turn around as, as we have the rest of the field, as we do the areas where we're trying to dry, uh, grow a crop and drive on. So they're still subsoiled and lifted, the areas where what we call our intermediates. So our tram line, which is where our sprayer runs, um, we're not trying to grow a crop on there, so therefore we don't have to worry about them too much. Whereas the other two, and then well, the other three, and then also the head, end headlands between the hedge and the... Um, and the tram line, we, uh, we treat normally, so we subsource to, uh, to more traditional manners, but it, it, uh, there's no way to CTFM sensibly, um, so therefore you just do as you, as you can do. And are there any benefits to tracks over tyres, or um, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you're, if you're randomly trafficking and you're doing a lot of heavy cultivations, uh, tracks are great, you know, they're, they're, they fit the bill, they're perfect. I think when you're starting to back off going into to doing heavy cultivations and maybe controlling your wheelings, you can move to a tyre. And a tyre actually is a lot more flexible. Uh, it's a lot more cheaper to run. Uh, and then also it, um, it, it, it allows you to... Generally, a, a heavy tracked, tracked machine is a, is a heavy weight and you can't take any weight off it. Whereas when you go to a machine which is on wheels, it's, it's, it has weights which can be removed because they're more of a universal tractor. So by having a machine you can remove the weight, we can go for machines we use from 16 tonnes at its lightest up to 29 tonnes at its heaviest, which where our track machine was always 29 tonnes. Um, so it's more versatile. And I think, to be honest, if you're not asking as much of the tyre from a tractive hard pull point of view, then tyres then are the way to go for me. And then some of the reasons people say that they can't CTF is because they plough or the bales straw. What yeah. would your response be to that? Uh, I would say when, they, when we first started doing CTF uh, and it hadn't really been thought about, I would have agreed. Uh, whereas now it seems brutally obvious to me. The problem with ploughing is, and you know, people who grow sugar beet or, or potatoes or vegetables, particularly rotation in ploughing, so say once every five years, or even every year to a point, is if you plough your soil, you're hard resetting it, making it very soft, so therefore it's very easy to compact it again. So rather than driving randomly all the way over it, well, let's just confine that into an area you know where you've driven, and you can repair those areas and leave the rest of that soil to not be compacted and just carry on being a ploughed soil. Um, so you've seen the benefits of that then, because like you say yourself, yeah. you were one of those thinkers yeah, too, yeah, that yeah. now you're I was. seeing... Oh, no, absolutely. I, 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 as, as I mentioned in the presentation, it was very much... Um, I came in as, as a religion, and actually when I've now, having done it for four or five years, uh, it's, it isn't a religion at all. It's a, it's a management tool, and you just... You know, you use it as much or as little as you can. Uh, and it won't work for everybody, but I personally think it's a sensible way to go. Tom Hawthorne of Flora Farms sharing his experiences of controlled traffic farming with Ellie Codling. Soil protection is something they're looking at as well at Rothamsted Research. They're midway through a series of trials looking at how the right organic matter increases soil fertility and indeed overall soil structure. Though what organic matter you use is still very much up for debate. Andy Whitmore is Principal Investigator at Rothamsted. Well we've been running a number of field experiments at Rothamsted for a long time now. and We've been applying different rates of organic matter, different kinds in order to see what its effect is on yields. And generally we're finding that we get increased yields by applying organic matter over and above what we would expect from the nutrients that are contained in those additions. So we think probably what's going on is that organic matter that we add has a role of feeding the biology, the biology that's in the soil, the organisms, things like earthworms, but also much smaller things like the microbes and fungi and things that live in there too. And, all, and taken all together, these, these improve the structure, which is the way the soil is arranged in pores, so that roots in crops can find their way through soil much more easily. The soil becomes 
weak in the sense that the roots can move it apart, but still retains its strength to resist erosion and raindrop impact and things of that kind. And so the plant is able to grow better, find the nutrients that it uses more efficiently and quickly. And we've been seeing yield increases of about 10%. It's important to consider these factors, isn't it? I mean, the yield increase alone will get a lot of people thinking about it. Well, I guess so. I mean, it it increases management, of course. You have to spread the stuff. You have to understand that it does contain nutrients. You don't want to fall foul of any NVZ regulations or something of that kind. But nonetheless, as an additional weapon in their farmer's armoury, it can improve crop yields, I think. And not just just grain yields in the arable crops we've been looking at, but you get substantial increases, the similar level of about 5 to 10% in straw. And if you're selling that on for digestate or whatever, um, bedding, it, it... increases the uh, the bottom line i guess and it is important isn't it that we do i mean you know farmers are taking care of the soil but even more so now it certainly helps to think about think long term to build up fertility and, and think not just about the immediate profits but uh, about what would happen long term and we're looking to see whether these organic amendments persist in soil one of the things a farmer would want to know is is how much they cost but then how long any benefit is going is going to uh, going to, to to last and we'll, we don't know yet, but we think you might get two or three years out worth of, of benefit, additionally, after you've applied for two or three years. But we have AHDB-funded work, which is now looking at that. Yeah, I mean, this is very long-term, isn't it? We're very keen that, that, um, that people take the long, long-term view, of course. Soil is a resource which is very slow to, to be replaced, and we're looking at hundreds of years rather than just a few years. So we have to maintain it, we have to conserve it. How do, you, how do you change that, though? How do you stop that, that short-termism, if you like, and people that, that thinking attitude, I, Yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, <laughs> um, I, I think farmers do take the long term. I think there's a long tradition of farmers wanting to pass the land on to their, their, their children. And, and if you're in that kind of culture, then, of course, you take the long-term view. And, and even tenants, so long as there are long tenancies, that they will be managing the land for themselves uh, in, in, in future years. There, there is, anecdotally, some problems with short-term lets on, on and, and contractors perhaps not managing the land as as, as well as it, it might be. Um, I think, think it's a cultural issue, really. We have to see soil as something that we value and treasure and, and really uh, um, manage it and protect it. Any surprises from the findings? Have you been surprised by anything? Um, that's a good question. Off the top of my head, I'm, I'm going to say no, but, but, but perhaps, perhaps more variability than I'd hoped for. Uh, some of the experiments at Rothamsted seems to suggest uniform, gradual, but steady increases. What we've seen in, in, the, in the recent series of experiments was rather more vari- variability than I'd hoped for, and I guess we need to understand that to be able to, to help farmers to understand it to, in, into practice. And as you say, you've got more trials more with AHDB and, uh, and others as well to come? There is some work going on now funded by AHDB and we're working in association with NIAB, Cambridge University Farms, to look at the effects of these things in rotations. Uh, for potato crops in particular was one of the things AHDB wanted us to look at, but also other ways of building up fertility in soil. So um, our chairman referred to the cover cropping he has on his farm for the first time. Well, this is another way. If the soil's bare, why not put something in which is capturing sunlight and turning it into, into organic matter? That is one way of, of increasing levels. Um, again, management is important, but uh, it, it doesn't cost you as much.
Andy Whitmore of Rothamsted Research. We were talking a short while ago about the importance of looking after our soils. Well, uh, someone who knows how important that is, is our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Morning, Sean. Now, of course, you were talking soils at the uh, AICC conference this week, weren't you? We were, yeah. I'm the, as you know, the chair of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants, uh, the AICC. And we have our annual conference down in Whittlebury in Northamptonshire every year. And amongst other things, we had the soil scientists from Rothamsted, one of which you had on the programme a bit earlier on um, and also many many other scientists from Rothenstead talking about many many other things but the thing the analogy I would use for the soil it is the most crucial thing that's where we grow all the crops that's where it everything we do to eat comes out of the soil um, and everything we eat that eats anything like grass comes out of the soil so without it we can't survive as a species so if you imagine the earth is an apple and you take that apple and you cut that apple into eight equal segments and you throw away seven and you keep one and you cut that segment into three pieces throw away two of those and keep the bit that's left that bit you're holding in your hand is the total amount of earth on the surface of this planet that we grow crops in to feed every person on the planet so you can see how much of a vital resource it is and we were talking about um, controlled traffic well it's just up the road here Nishams and Scolies they have controlled traffic farming up there to try and do that to try and build up the organic matter levels in the soil because of all the benefits they bring and over the last few years as they said we've dropped right down organic matter levels have dropped um, so what we're trying to do is stop making the mistakes we've made in the past learn from those move forward and try and build up organic matter levels whether that be compost or organic um, manure or whatever it is so absolutely agree with everything that was said but amongst other things that were said down at the conference we had a lot on resistance black grass was one of the big ones obviously um, which is a big talking point in the UK and because of its mutations, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of different mutations within the black grass population. What that means is, if you're looking at your neighbour and he's got good control of his black grass in the spring with a herbicide and yours hasn't worked, it's probably not as simple as blaming your agronomist or the product because each field will have its own population of its own type of resistance, its own gene resistance of um to, to herbicides and that's the difficulty that's why it's such a difficult complex problem and what we're also finding is that we, we may still be getting 90% control from herbicides but the 10% that's left is producing two or three times more heads than it ever used to so we're still getting a massive seed return bigger than it would have been so it is a huge problem for us that was a big topic and while we're talking about that if you're going to put Atlantis or Hamlet or anything on as a contact material for your black grass because it is cold you need everything else perfect you need a dry leaf it needs to dry on by at least four hours you go forward at 12 kilometers an hour maximum you put it through a medium fine quality jet you make sure you're putting the right water rate on you don't go any faster than 12k get everything as right as it can be and you minimise the risk of anything you do causing the problem. It'll probably just be the fact that the resistance genes are such that it's that's why it hasn't worked. But if you try and get everything else right, that's the only way to do it, really. So what am I doing at the moment? I'm walking all seed rate fields. The P 
pigeons are there in force. Make sure you've bangers out, make sure you're checking, particularly near woods and isolated fields. Don't just assume. The rabbits are there as well. On several of my farms, I've got deer problems, so bangers, get the bangers out. Um, slugs seem to not be causing too many problems at the moment, and they won't do. While it's cold, they'll have driven down. And as we pass through that horrible blizzard Thursday night into Friday, I think we saw 15 flakes of snow in our village, so that's massive, really. Um, we got away with that one. Um, it is cold enough to drive the slugs down, so don't panic and don't just chuck slug pellets out for the sake of doing it because you haven't done it for a week. And it starts to get infuriating. I was in the office, so obviously I'm spending time doing P&K recommendations for people who haven't already done that. I'm getting all the records up to date. I'm doing my NMAX calculations for people. I'm doing four-point nitrogen plans and SNS and organic manure calculation. And it's worth mentioning at this point, actually, you have to have that four-point nitrogen plan in place before you go and apply any nitrogen. That's the law. So cold days, wet days, sit in the office and do it. But the tendency is while you're in the office just to read news reports and magazines and other things. And I read a piece the other day, and it's infuriating. We've mentioned neonicotinoids many times before. And as you know, there is a ban on them in oilseed rape. We tried to get uh, derogation last year for a, the worst hit area of the UK to use them and we lost that we couldn't get that and it's because the Friends of the Earth and the Soil Association are standing up saying we don't want neonics the facts of the matter are this the science still does not support the fact that they are damaging to bees it may be damaging certain populations of bumblebees but the scientific report which is completely independent is not suggesting that most of the reports which are suggesting it is are coming out of those who wish to see neonicotinoids banned i.e. soil association scientists friends of the earth scientists etc and that was illustrated this last week at the oxford conference when somebody stood up and said a new report has shown that they're damaging to bees so we need to get rid of the one we use clothianidin on winter wheat bees don't pollinate winter wheat bees don't pollinate winter wheat i'm going to say it twice because it's very important because if that is the reason they're saying we need not to have it on cereals it is spurious in the extreme um that's self-pollinating so i think don't believe all you read and the farming press has a lot of responsibility on this because when they publish one of these articles non-farming people read that and think it must be a fact because it's in the farming press everyone will make political capital think about it there are people who don't want anything like this and i'll get i'll put it in perspective for you nicotine is used in organic farming as an insecticide neonicotinoids are exactly the same compound as nicotine so what's the difference that's the point i'm trying to make and i i, I saw the other day again that neonicotinoids they're now saying may have an effect on rats and give them liver disease so perhaps we, use, we ought to be using it as a rat poison then the point is perspective is what's needed here so uh, it's very difficult very annoying we just keep driving forward because that's what we do. We will do what we can do and we'll do it as safely as we possibly can. Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll find out what treats are in store for us at Lammer this week in a moment. First, our weekly update from Open Field, and it's Henry Young once again this week. Um, so having a bit of a look at the markets from last week, and there's two things that pretty much cover the markets. Uh, strangely, politics and currency. So having a look at this in a bit more detail, the markets uh, at the early part of last week were driven by Theresa May coming out on Sunday saying that Brexit meant hard Brexit, followed by, shall we say, a slight U-turn saying maybe not so hard, then her coming out in the tail end of last week saying that she was going to do a major speech on Tuesday. We'll see how this plays out. Then we saw Mark Carney come out and say that Brexit talks, perhaps it was, isn't going to be as hard as we were first planning, 
but uh, also it's going to affect Europe potentially more than us. Something that uh, is going to be an interesting one this year is the uh, is within the European Union. Uh, and it may well affect the euro, is the elections um, within Europe. This is going to be a bit of an impact because we're seeing France coming out saying, do we still want the euro? And other countries doing the same. So that may that may be an impact to, to uh, look at for this coming year. Something of interest as well to watch for the coming markets is obviously the Brexit debates going on. Um, and this is going to have a big impact because no one quite knows what will happen or what decisions have quite been made so far. Other things to be aware of at the moment, as I spoke about last week, the cold weather. We saw it at the tail end of last week uh, with snow in some parts of the county. Also, um, there has been good snow cover in Europe. I think many people have seen the snow in Turkey, uh, which I think for them is probably quite a shock. And also some very cold weather in Ukraine. This could lead to some winter kill, but we won't know about this until spring, so it's a waiting game on that one. While talking about Ukraine, it's important to note the zero tax licenses that they're currently using at the moment. This was given to them when Russia was going into Ukraine to kind of help them out a bit. Also, last week we saw a USDA report come out. There's been a small change in the global supply and demand, but there's been no real shock. The interesting bit is the wheat plantings within, in the US are going to be down at over a 100-year low. They're talking about the wheat plantings being at the same as they were in 1909. So this is going to be an impact. But what are they going to plant? Is it going to be soybeans or is it going to be maize? We won't know until the, uh, until this starts being drilled. So a watch, watch on that one. Something else that may be of interest is the usage uh, of maize uh, to produce ethanol. Also, be aware, Trump is swearing in his team at the moment. This may have an impact because one of the people that he has brought in is a minerals guy. So that may have an impact on the ethanol market. Having a look at the prices... January 138 to 140, March 17, 143 to 145, May 17, 145 to 147, November 17. This is one an interesting one. 131 to 134. Is this where we should be starting? It's not the worst place, is it? Um, so what's going on with the malting barley market? Very, very quiet at the moment. Basically, the um, consumers are covering what they've any short covering they've got. They've got good cover in the long term. Something to be aware of if you're a malting barley grower is your storage. Making sure that it is stored correctly and is being uh, when it's being sent is going is being executed correctly. There is seeing, starting to see some rejections, so just be aware of this. Those prices: spring pepinos, you're getting about 142, kind of going into the new year. And then if you're looking that far ahead into uh, 18 crops, you're potentially getting around the same money for October, November, December. The oilseed rate markets is seeing some support. On the back of palm oil closing, also some rival bids uh, on demand from China. Crude oil jumped as well last week on the weakness of the dollar and also Saudi exports uh, into Asia. There is a bit of pressure though coming, obviously from the USDA report which we saw last week. Also the forecast of dry weather in Argentina. This could help the soybeans and the corn with the recent floods that they've seen there. Also Canadian canola has dropped on just some technical selling and currency as well. So having a look at those prices... January 350, March 17, 351 to 352, May 352 to 353, November 17, 325. Just a quick look at the bean market. It seems to have firmed over the last few days. Buyers are becoming more and more frustrated. Egypt is still sitting out of the market. At the moment, they're buying from the Baltics, but how much more human consumption beans they've got will be an interesting one. They may not come into the UK market because as of March, we start to see some the turning of the beans, the colour. So that then pushes the feed, bar, feed market higher. 
is it now the time to be looking at pricing up some feed beans? Having a look at those prices, February is currently worth 152 to 155 plus a pound a month from there. Looking at that new crop, 150 for September, plus a pound from there. Thank you very much. Henry Young of Open Field. It's Slammer this week. How soon it comes around again. It's happening again at the East of England showground Wednesday and Thursday this coming week. Kate Walsh is part of the team putting the event together. It's actually in its 36th year now, Sean. Um, so it's the, one of the UK's largest farming machinery equipment and services show. Um, we have got all the usual um, exhibitors. Actually, just over 900 are coming along. So again, it's going to be a great show. Um, visitors can earn um, a great sort of six basis points and two Neuroso points by attending the show and taking part in our knowledge trail. Um, there is also uh, the Dealer's Den is returning to the show again. Um, we've also got, as a new thing this year, we've got the Department for International Trade. They're running a trade export advice centre, which is located in Hall 2. Um, so lots to do, lots to see. Um, we are expecting, you know, a good good attendance as always about 40,000 visitors attend Lammer each year so it's going to be a good show and and uh, I mean you've mentioned a couple of the highlights there the, the dealer's den it worked really well last year didn't it yeah so the dealer's den basically um it's where the main traders um dealing in secondhand kit will be exhibiting so it was actually a, a new um sort of feature to the event in 2015 and it just means that um visitors are able to actually see and talk to people about used equipment as well as brand new stuff. I think given the year we've had as well, the uh, International Trade um, Advice Centre will be uh, much welcome, I guess. There'll be lots of questions there, no doubt. Yes, exactly. So that's new for this year, so we're really excited about that. And obviously there are there have been, you know, different things going on at the moment, you know, Brexit being one of them. So uh, again, it just gives um, exhibitors the chance to um, schedule one-to-one meetings with the officials from the Department for International Trade, um, uh, officials from the commercial teams, and, the, and they're actually from South Africa and Ukraine. So visitors are able to learn more about specific opportunities in those markets. Um, again, there's a lot more information on both the Knowledge Trail and the Department of, for International Trade and their Trade Export Advice Centre on the LAMA website. Uh, another new thing that we've got this year, Sean, is the LAMA app. Um, so again, everything can be found on the website, but visitors can register for our Lama app, um, and those that do register for the Lama app will have access to free Wi-Fi hotspots um, on site. So again, that's just another sort of um, way of getting more people along to the event and giving them an opportunity to see more at the show, see more actually before the show as well, and be able to plan their visit. Look at the inter- interactive map that's on the on the website. Um, you know, obviously with over 900 exhibitors, it's quite difficult to uh, arrive and, and see everybody that you want unless you've done a little bit of pre-planning and had a look at the map and um, planned your journey around the showground. Kate Walsh from Lammer. Will the weather be kind on those 40,000 people attending, though? Let's take a look at what's planned for the week ahead. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today, further heavy rain falling in parts of our area should dry out later in the afternoon, but where that rain does fall could be quite significant in places. Six Celsius the high later, the wind from the northwest 10, gusting at 30 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, overcast, keeping temperatures above freezing, two Celsius the low first thing tomorrow. The wind dropping down as well, more from the east at about five miles an hour. And then tomorrow, mostly dry and patchy cloud, possibility of a shower. We're looking at highs of four, the wind more from the south, five to ten miles an hour.
Monday into Tuesday again overcast, 2 Celsius the low, the wind from the south, 10, gusting at 20, 25 miles an hour. And then quite a chilly Tuesday, possibility of a shower but mostly dry. We're looking at highs of about 3 Celsius and that wind from the south-southwest at 10, gusting at 15 miles an hour. Overnight Tuesday into Wednesday, dry, some cloud, temperatures just above freezing, could be below freezing in some parts, a frosty start certainly to Wednesday morning, south-southeasterly the wind, about 10 miles an hour, and then the middle of the week itself, some sunshine, highs 3 Celsius if we're lucky, the wind from the south-southeast, again around 10 miles an hour. So that's the forecast. If you're at Lama this week, I'll be there on Wednesday, so keep a lookout. And uh, if you'd like me to come and interview you on your stand, as long as the kettle's on, I'll pop over and say hello. Uh, you can get in touch through the website, or if you're on Twitter, then send me a message at Farming Show. We'll have highlights plus an update on the beat campaign on next Sunday's programme. Until then, have a good week's farming.